Hello and welcome to another edition of Weaver Beyond the Numbers. My name is Stephen Scarborough. I'm a tax partner in Weaver State and Local Tax Practice. Today I have with me Meyer Nike and Brandon Hayes. Brandon is a senior manager in Weaver State and Local Tax Practice, and Meyer is a partner in Weaver State and Local Tax Practice. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see you. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about Wayfair versus South Dakota. Uh, it's been five years since Wayfair. There's been a lot of changes that have affected a lot of ta- a lot of businesses uh, due to that decision. Meyer, can you start out by giving us a little background? What is Wayfair? People have heard this term. What does it mean? Give us a little background on it. Sure. So in 2018, um, the company Wayfair brought a case against the state of South Dakota on what would create nexus in the state. And basically, the Supreme Court ruled that a company can now have economic presence in the state. And not only can they have an economic presence, they could also have physical presence. So that completely changed up the game. They said, hey, if you sell X amount into our state, you now have an economic presence in the state and you have the obligation to collect sales tax. So that's, I think that's really the Supreme Court telling the all the states that we're trying to catch up with the times. There's a lot of e-commerce. We're doing a lot of business online. Um, it's no longer mandatory that you only have a physical presence of store location or people. You can now also have an economic presence in our state. And I can imagine this, you know, for a lot of different types of companies, whereas before Wayfair, they only had physical presence maybe in one state or a couple. Now they have economic presence in a lot of states. This must have a pretty big impact on taxpayers and, and companies trying to operate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really the evolution occurred not just whenever the, the court decision came down in 2018, because even though the court or when the court rendered their ruling, most of the states did not start enforcing that day one. So I think that a lot of people had an opportunity to try to get their, their arms wrapped around it. But then we had COVID hit, right? And then all of a sudden everything changed. And, and I don't think that companies really embraced what that meant for their own organization. So now, as Meyer was mentioning, you know, before you had to have physical presence in order for a state to be able to impose their, their, uh, their laws and regulations upon you. Well, once the ruling came down, now you have to look at what type of economic footprint do you have in jurisdictions. And I think where a lot of companies end up getting caught up is that the ones that are educated on the decision believe that economic nexus has replaced physical nexus, and it's just not true. It actually has enhanced and bolstered the state's ability to go after more people than what they would have before that ruling, right? So now you have to look at not just where am I making sales or um, or providing taxable services in a jurisdiction. I have to know exactly where all my other stuff is. I mean, how many companies now have employees that are working 100% remote, right? So it used to be that you could kind of count all your chickens in one basket because they were all in the same headquarters. Now they could be anywhere. And all of those employees in those different locations could potentially create issues from a nexus perspective, in addition to the amount of economic activity that you have in these jurisdictions. Gotcha. I was going to say, Mar, what is the what is the economic nexus level typically, you know, for that threshold? Yeah, so it's dependent from state to state. Uh, typically, it's around a hundred thousand dollars in sales or a hundred transactions. So most states are doing away with the transactional cow, um, but sticking to the hundred thousand dollars in sales. So 
states vary between gross sales and taxable sales as to how they define if you're achieving uh, nexus in their state, um, but it's typically around 100000 And I think that's a really important point, too, because going back to gross versus retail, you know, what we're seeing when advising our clients is they, they presume that because the sales that they're making aren't necessarily taxable, that there aren't any nexus implications. That also is not true. As Meyer mentioned, some states use a different yardstick to measure whether or not you've tripped nexus in that particular state, meaning gross sales. So they're looking at all economic activity irrespective of whether or not the sales that you're doing are taxable. So what does that mean? Well, it does. It could mean that you still owe no tax, but you might have a filing obligation. And if you don't meet that filing obligation, then now your company could be subject to penalties and interest for noncompliance. And, it, and it, in, in those cases, even though there's a lower, I guess, liability, still from a compliance perspective and an expectation of what the state wants you to do, is it correct that they still want you to file even in, those, in that situation? Potentially. And that's really why you have to, to, to really understand your business, your, your business's footprint, and the rules as they apply and are defined in each individual jurisdiction. Okay. And so uh, an example would be like a manufacturer right? They're not necessarily charging sales tax on their sales, uh, right? And would that be an example of a, a sale that would be uh, no tax liability, but yet you, you've you still got to file? Potentially. Again, it's going to be you know taxpayer and state specific in terms of what the rules are and what the, the filing requirements might be. Yeah. So it sounds like this is a pretty serious issue for businesses. Are there some, some pitfalls and areas that clients and, or customers should be worried about uh, when it comes to economic nexus, some things they could run into? Absolutely. Brandon and I do a lot of M&A work, and typically what we see come through our desk is that if a company hasn't been in compliance, this is found out during the due diligence process, and it it can blow up an entire deal just because of the sales tax liability associated with the acquisition or purchase of a company. Um, Most recently, we've seen this to be you know, it could be up to millions of dollars if, if a company has been compliant at all. Um, and if they're selling TPP, providing services, and especially in, in the technology space with uh, software as a service, like what is that? How do people define that? And each state is so different. We, we see this a lot in that, that space. I'll kind of go tail off of that too um, with regards to your original question. That is that you know, one thing that people don't think about enough is the statute of limitations. You know, we routinely talk to people and companies that think that, well, you know, we know we have a liability here, but we're just going to let it fly under the radar until and let time take care of it. And unfortunately, if you're not registered to do business or to collect for sales and use tax in a jurisdiction, you're not subject to the protections of the statute of limitations. So in those particular instances, the, comf- the, the states rather can go back to the point at which you began conducting business in their jurisdiction and sweep all that tax forward. So it's not a problem that's going to go away. So uh, theoretically, if Wayfair now being five years old, if four years ago a state turned on their Wayfair, they turned on their next economic nexus standards, and you haven't filed since then, right? You could have a jurisdiction that, under normal circumstances, would have a three-year statute of limitations, but they have an enforcement period for nexus from, say, I don't know, January of 2019. Well, all those periods that were prior to the original prescription are now going to be back open to review. So this is going to be a pretty daunting situation for some taxpayers. They could find themselves like, wow, I, I have exposure in many different states. Uh, this seems kind of, now I have to file in many different states. It seems kind of overwhelming. 
Do you guys have any thoughts on what we what you might suggest for companies to do if they if they find themselves in the situation? I mean, how can they begin to mitigate uh, some of the exposure and start to get themselves into compliance? So first, I think they need to understand where their economic footprint is. So that would be running a report that details or summarizes their sales by jurisdiction and, and year, understanding where their employees are located, where they might have um, offices, and then from there identifying those locations and then quantifying their potential liability so that this is what we would call a nexus evaluation. Um, just tying those pieces all together to figure out, hey, this is my economic footprint. One other thing to consider that we're seeing a lot more of it, particularly in the retail space, is you have more and more businesses that are trying to sell through more of an omni-channel type delivery method, right? If they're utilizing marketplace providers and facilitators of that nature, you also have to be concerned about where your inventory is physically stored, right? Because for Nexus purposes, the states look at, from a physical Nexus perspective, where do you have people or property? Property includes inventory. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to nail down where you have your own warehouse, your own distribution center, but now if you're utilizing a third-party market facilitator, marketplace facilitator, to sell your goods for you, you could potentially be creating nexus issues in jurisdictions that you didn't even know that you were a part of. So, okay, so after they identify where they may have nexus, you quantify your exposure, right, and, and from a tax perspective. What, what, what would be the next step? How do, you, how do you make it right? How do you get back in line? Well, typically, um, I mean, there's a few different ways that you can kind of approach that, right? And it's, well, I would say that it's, there's not going to be one right answer for, for everyone. You really need to have a conversation and bring all the interested parties into the table because you're probably going to have to make some adjustments to the way that you're doing business, right? But at the end of the day, if, it's, if you know that you have a liability and, um, and you know you need to get registered and you don't want to play the lottery roulette, you know, right, then probably the easiest way to do that would be through some type of a voluntary disclosure agreement or an off offer and compromise agreement with the states. Most states at this particular point have kind of, for lack of better words, codified what that program is going to look like. And it's pretty easy to kind of get on the states uh, or start those negotiations with the state. Uh, many cases, those negotiations and the terms can be settled anonymously, so you don't have to disclose who you are uh, before you get uh, a favorable agreement from the state in terms of how you're going to get that money paid to them without you know, being hammered with penalties and interest and things of that nature. So, And tip typically on that, they do waive uh, penalties and or interest if, if you take part in that program. And dependent on what your liability is, you could just go ahead and back file, so register as of the date that you exceeded those nexus thresholds and backfile returns. So you're, you'd be paying penalties on the backdated returns, but it might not, if, if your liability is, you know, materially lower, that might be a better way to approach that. So maybe could you give like a piece of advice to, if, you, if you're talking to a CFO controller or tax director who maybe knows that they have a potential issue out there, what would you recommend uh, to them at this point? Well, I think it kind of goes back to, again, understanding your business, right? And and also, I think you need to not take for granted what's going on in the marketplace. When we're talking to, to our clients about uh, the potential nexus um, issues that they may have, and we, you know, I, I think that there is, for the people that are educated about Wayfair and what that meant to businesses, I think that there is a presumption in the business community that vendors are now getting it right and that everyone's charging tax. And that's simply not true. As Meyer mentioned, I mean, there are small seller nexus thresholds uh, 
that unless you exceed those, even though you're making sales into that state, you still may not be required to do that. And while most states have kind of coalesced around the idea of $100,000 or less in terms of being that part of that small seller exclusion, you have some states like California, Texas, and New York, which theirs are $500,000, right? So there's a lot of companies that are doing business in that space that are not going to be required to uh, to file and, and charge sales tax, required to register and, re- and file for sales tax, collect sales tax. And so I, th- I think it's really important to go through and, and, and scrub your business. And, and one thing that I've noticed too is that since Wayfair uh, and because of this presumption that the vendors are getting it right, starting to see companies move those responsibilities where they would historically have people that would go through periodically and review their purchases for use tax obligation. Now they're not paying as much attention to that anymore because, again, they're presuming that the vendors are getting it right. And I think that there does need to be uh, kind of an increased focus on that to make sure that your house is in order and that you are going back and accruing and remitting on the things that you should be because, you know, again, at the end of the day, if it's only going to get worse if you get caught by the state. To add to that, in, in closing, is that um, you know, states are getting really smart and in di- and identifying who might have potential nexus and there's their economic nexus in their state. So you want to be ahead of them before they come to you because if they come to you first, you're barred from doing any VDAs and this is so you don't get that uh, penalty and interest offset uh, if if they come to you first. So it's a, it's so my my word of advice would be take it seriously, understand your business know what your footprint is and get ahead of it. Well, thanks guys. That is some really great information. Thank you, Mara. Thank you, Brandon, for joining us. Uh, This has been another edition of Weaver Beyond the Numbers.